Winning Cures Everything. Now for your hosts, Gary and Chris. Welcome in, Winning Cures Everything. It is the Tuesday, February 22nd edition of the show. And yes, it is a little bit later than usual. I am your host, Gary Seegers. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. Uh, Chris is busy with other things, but there is news that we need to discuss. We got things that we need to talk about. So why don't I go ahead? I'm a little bit unorganized. It's been a little bit busy uh, where I am, but we do want to still get out the show on a regular schedule. Of course, that is every Tuesday and Friday. So, uh, before I get into the reads and whatnot, we will go ahead and roll through the topics. And we'll start off with a, with a couple of them. The first one, of course, being college football expansion. Now, let me write down my time here, make sure I got a good clip. College football expansion, or at least the playoff. The expansion of the CFP has been delayed for another two years. So, at the end of the 2025 season, heading into the 2026 season is when we are looking at an expansion of the playoff. Now, currently, we only have four teams in the playoff. The idea was, at least that was floated over the summer before all of the Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC talk began, the talk was that this would be a 12-team format with a bye for the first two seeds, and then the other seeds, or excuse me, the first four seeds, and 5 would play 12, 6 would play 11, 7 would play 10, 8 would play 9. And then those teams would play against the top 4 seeds, and so forth and so on. Uh, those teams would host sites on campus, etc. They're still trying to figure out the bowl situation, whatever. The way that this thing came down was an 8-3 vote. It has to be unanimous in order for them to approve expansion early. The 8-3 vote, of course, went the direction that everybody thought that it would. It was the alliance that had the three votes against, and that would be the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC. Now, why the ACC or the Pac-12 would want to vote against this, who knows? We have talked about it ad nauseum on this show in the past, but basically, the ACC wanted an eight-team format, but even then, they really didn't want that. What they wanted was for everybody to come back to the table and to discuss all of the other problems that are going on inside of the sport. The Big Ten, of course, wants to get other TV providers involved. That would include, most likely, Fox Sports, who would love to be a partner of the playoff. If they were to expand early, that would mean that more uh, more of this would go to ESPN. They have exclusive negotiating rights before that 2026 window and the negotiations are probably going to start in the next two years, so they need to figure something out over the next 24 to eh, 36 months, somewhere around there. This is, uh, this is becoming an issue because the SEC may not come back to the table. Uh, it, let's, let's stick back on the Pac-12 for just a minute. The Pac-12, of course, came out with a statement afterwards saying, you know, the vote didn't pass, uh, we really would want an expanded playoff, blah, 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 blah. They're saying that they want an expanded playoff, and yet they voted against it. And I don't know if they didn't know that their vote was going to be public or, or other people wouldn't talk about it. I mean, it's kind of insane to think that nobody is going to figure out what you're saying, but they voted against it, and yet they want an expanded playoff. The current setup that everybody has talked about since last summer was six 
auto bids, and that would be for the six highest-rated conference champions, regardless of conference. And I don't know why that wouldn't work for all of these conferences. I, the Pac-12 wants it to be auto bids for the P5 conferences, same with the ACC. The issue there is they may not have one of the six highest-rated conference champions at some point, which is kind of absurd to think, especially with the direction that realignment is going. I just It doesn't make any sense to me why they wouldn't go ahead and do this, especially because, and now we'll head over to the SEC portion of this, the SEC may not come back to the table. What... What does the SEC have to gain by this? I understand more money, but more money is not always everything, right? The SEC is going to go back to the uh, negotiating table with ESPN. They're going to get more money for having Texas and Oklahoma join. They're going to be a 16-team Super League. They could do their own playoff. They could do their own playoff. And I heard uh, Dan Wetzel and Pat Forty talk about this on the College Football Inquirer podcast from Yahoo Sports. But they could basically come at this with, you know, their top four teams have their own little playoff to a conference championship, and then the winner of that faces off against whoever. Or they can come to the table with the Big 12, which would be absolutely hilarious, thinking of Bob Bowlesby having to go into negotiations with the SEC on a playoff after they had to do their own realignment and whatnot. But bring in the Big 12, bring in uh, Notre Dame, uh, bring in some of those G5 conferences if they want to. They could do anything at this point. The SEC can do whatever they want to until the alliance to shove it. They could, or they can keep it at four, which is what Greg Sankey has said all along. We are perfectly fine at four. The SEC is the only conference that has not missed a playoff. They have made every single playoff dating back to uh, its inception in 2014. They've had multiple years with two contestants. Uh, this year, the same thing. We have had an all-SEC national title game in two of the last four years. That is absolutely absurd. They could do what they want to. They may want to stick it for. And if that's the case, okay, at this point, I'm beginning to think maybe that's not such a bad idea. Maybe it's not such a bad idea to just stick it for and leave it alone. But alas, we will see. I'm sure that something will come to the table. But the Pac-12 and the ACC deciding to vote against this, and same with the Big Ten. They understand, yes, they're going to make oodles of money on their next TV contract. But if they want to remain relevant, if they want to remain uh, a viable recruiting option for a lot of these star players, you're going to have to come up with something. You are going to have to come up with something. So that takes us over to, we'll talk a little NFL before I do our, our reads here. The NFL has reached a partnership with the XFL, which is absolutely crazy to think. The headline over at ESPN was XFL to be, quote, Petri dish, for football innovation, prospect development as part of partnership agreement with the NFL. This is kind of crazy to me. Basically, they're not going to be uh, they're not going to be an amateur league for the NFL, right? Because they're going to have to sign their own contracts, they're going to have to do their own stuff, etc. But basically what uh, what Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, and Redbird Capital Partners have set up is they are going to um, how do I explain it? They, the innovations that the XFL is going to bring into their television broadcasts, etc., the things that they are going to do with the rules, the different ways that they are going to do kickoffs, etc., that can be taken over to the NFL. 
And I think it's a good idea for the NFL. It doesn't take a lot to have a, a partnership with, you know, which a lot of people might assume that this would be a fly-by-night league because a lot of the spring leagues have been. The USFL, of course, is getting started next year. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, well, it, it's USFL starting in April. Excuse me. There's a lot of different opportunities here for the NFL to continue to improve their product and use it use the XFL basically as a testing ground. And I think it's a genius idea. You know, a lot of these different methods, a lot of these different ideas can be presented with an XFL crowd. And if people like it enough, which the NFL has done with uh, done this with multiple multiple leagues in the past, uh, if they like it enough, they can bring it into their own. So if the NFL comes up with an idea and they want the XFL to try it, they can then bring it to the XFL, get them to test it out. If it works, they can implement it into their own season, etc. I think this works. I think this absolutely works. Uh, the XFL built its 2020 version as a reimagined brand of football and has plans to continue that approach, making the XFL what Garcia said would be a natural partner for the NFL. This, uh, I'm a fan of this. I am a fan of this, absolutely, because I like the different ideas that go into this. I like having a testing ground for it. And if the NFL were to bring some of these rule change ideas or these broadcast change ideas to college football, I think college football might tell them to shove it. That's what I think. So I think that we are going to roll with this, and I I like it. Uh, In a statement released by the XFL, Uh, The XFL has shown that innovation is one of its core principles. We are hopeful that this relationship will support further development and improvements in the game of football at all levels. I like it. I like it. I like those two having a relationship with each other. They will no longer be uh, opponents. They'll no longer be uh, fighting against each other for television eyes. It's basically not necessarily a proving ground, but uh, just a, a testing ground. We'll say a testing ground for a lot of different things. Right, let me let me go on and, and talk about the NCAA right quick, and then we'll do our podcast reads. The NCAA announced on Friday, uh, Friday afternoon, late Friday. This was a news dump that they are going to review NIL, and they're going to review NIL principles, uh, policies, including impact on student athletes and potential recruiting uh, violations. Basically, uh, we've had one season where college athletes have been allowed to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. And they're going to start reviewing this stuff now, which I find comical at best because the NCAA has zero teeth at this point. We just got done with an NCAA Board of Governors meeting where they took a lot of the responsibility off of themselves and gave it back to the conferences. Now, I understand NIL is basically the the wild, wild west at this point. There are still laws... Eh, not laws, there are NCAA rules in regards to NIL where you are not allowed to use it to help with recruiting or anything along those lines, right? Uh, they Basically, they met virtually on Friday. They agreed to task the Division One Council with a review of how NIL policies, or lack thereof, have affected athletes' uh, school choice, transfer opportunities, academics, and their mental health. It says, we want to preserve the positive aspects of the new policy while reviewing whether anything can be done to mitigate the negative ones, said board chair and University of Georgia president, uh, Jir Mohead. Uh, Moorhead, excuse me. This is, 
So the reason that they're doing this, and it says here, in a news release, the board cited concerns about potential violation of NCAA recruiting rules, the representation for athletes as they broker these deals, booster involvement, as well as schools being involved in potentially arranging deals for incoming players. Chris and I have talked about this on the show before, about coaches not being able to broker these deals, the schools not being able to broker these deals. That doesn't mean that they are not going to have some kind of representation and that representation, uh, representation, as it sits right now, I I think they're not supposed to have it. But how can you stop it? If there's no money exchanging hands or anything like that, what are you going to do? I just I I don't know how uh, conducting this review or anything like that is going to change anything at all when it comes to this. So them talking about reviewing NIL stuff is just a farce at this point. Uh, they're gonna. What they're doing basically is telling everybody, yeah, yeah, we're gonna look into it because there's a lot of people that are upset about it. Especially, you know, everybody talked about Texas A&M's number one recruiting class, but when it comes down to it, it basically it's, everything is just above board now. You can just flaunt it if you want it, right? If you want to get the story out there that you are being paid to attend, da 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 da, or you're uh, making money to stay in school, or the school is paying you whatever. The stuff that's going on, such as uh, at Texas, right? Texas is paying. They've got some deal put together where every Texas offensive lineman is going to make $50,000 a year. It seems like a pretty good deal. Gene Chizik had a big problem with it. Of course, now he's back in college football. But regardless, those kind of things I don't believe you were supposed to be able to do. But if a if an organization comes up with an idea and they want to get – and they don't care about the name, they don't care about who it is, whatever – they just want this particular brand, this particular uh, player or type of player to represent their product. How are you going to stop it? Like, I have I have no idea how you go into this and try and set rules after you have already let this stuff go out. There are going to be a lot of people ineligible and a lot of different waivers and whatnot that you're going to have to fight through if you decide to go back on this now, which is one of the biggest reasons why we didn't think it was necessarily such a good idea, or at least I didn't. I'll say that. Uh, I didn't think it was such a good idea to just let this thing be wide open immediately. Like, come up with some kind of... Like, what Mark Emmert and those guys have done is just egregious because you could have written this thing out and made it somewhat... And I understand that they had the lawsuit uh, that went to the Supreme Court and they basically dared anybody in the NCAA to not allow these kids to make money. I understand that. But even before all of that stuff went on, that was the Austin case, by the way, even before all of that, you had multiple years and multiple opportunities to write out your own legislation for this. And instead, they try to go to Congress with it. And we all know how Congress works. I mean, what are we talking about here? Uh, this whole thing was just absurd. Absolutely absurd. And so... You know, we'll see what comes of it, but my guess would be nothing because that's what the NCAA is doing best. Nothing. All right, let's go through the ad reads right quick. Uh, the website. You all know what the website is, winningcureseverything.com. It's got everything that you need to know about us over there, including all of our different segments, etc. cetera. Uh, we certainly appreciate you for visiting there and making sure that you follow or subscribe wherever you need to subscribe. I'll go ahead and tell you about those right now. The YouTube numbers continuing to grow. We certainly appreciate that. Share the show out. Tell your friends about it for sure. And the podcast, of course. I, you know, with YouTube, let me go ahead and tell you this. 
Make sure and like the video if you're watching. Share it out with your friends, all that, and jump into the comments. We love to see the comments. We love to see you guys in the chat. So go ahead and jump in there. Uh, you can always reach out to us on Twitter, of course. Chris is at Chris B. Giannini. I am at Gary WCE. The podcast, of course, is available on all of your favorite podcast networks, whatever they may be. They're uh, the different apps. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, Overcast, Podcast, whatever it is, we are on there. Amazon Music has a new one. It's actually pretty good. Pretty good. So go ahead and check. Oh, Audible. For those that like audio books, uh, this isn't a book, but you can listen to us on Audible. Let's go ahead and check it out. Uh, but yes, leave a nice five-star written review, if you would, over at Apple Podcast, and then just leave a five-star review on Spotify. That certainly helps us out as well. The show is brought to you each and every time out by BetUS. That is where the game begins. Of course, it is America's premier online sports book. You go ahead and check them out right now. they got a ton of great deals heading into March Madness, etc. Uh, we've got the USFL kicking up. we got the NBA playoffs coming up in the summer. Lots of things to bet on in the sports world, including the NFL draft. Lots of props for the NFL draft. So go ahead and check that out as well. Also, I host a ton of things over on BetUS TV. So go over to BetUSTV.com and take a gander at all the different how-to videos and whatnot that we are currently working on. But the college football show for BetUS will be back, I believe, in August, maybe before that. Who knows? Uh, we'll be getting into preview season pretty, pretty soon. Now, always, you can stay right here. We're going to be previewing everything. We've got a whole list of things uh, that we will be talking about uh, that we'll be debating going over the next however long. So, uh, so stay tuned here, and of course, head over to BetUSTV.com as well. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill now let's jump into what happened in college basketball over the weekend jawan howard went through the handshake line after the michigan wolverines lost to the wisconsin badgers and got into it with greg guard the head coach of wisconsin's basketball team and this kind of began a little bit of a feud a little bit of a back and forth you could tell tensions were rising, and now, uh, or not now, but then we had Jawan Howard open hand hit one of the Wisconsin assistants, and the name escapes me, right? It's, it's Joe something. Uh, but regardless, he hit somebody from the opposing team, which started a bit of a melee, and you had two Michigan players throw punches, and you had one Wisconsin player throw a punch. Those kids have been suspended one game each, and Jawan Howard has now been suspended for the rest of the regular season. Greg Gard got a, a small fine. I think it was $10,000. Jawan Howard got a $40,000 fine. That is chump change to those guys. That's nothing. So, not that big of a deal when, when it comes down to it. Now, missing the entire rest of the regular season for Michigan's head basketball coach is a big deal. What this has sparked, though, is the idea of should we get rid of the handshake lines? At the end of a game when tensions are really, really high and it doesn't go one way or another, now this was a blowout, so it shouldn't, tensions should not have been high anyway, 
right? It just, it, if it's a loss, it is what it is. But we do have certain situations where you don't go through a handshake line. On a buzzer beater, when the court gets stormed, things like that. You rarely see a handshake line in the NBA. You never see it really in the NFL. You don't see it in college football. It's just if you want to shake hands with somebody from the opposing team, you can. I kind of think that that's the direction that we should go. Now, Michigan State head coach Tom Izzo said that if you get rid of the handshake line, it's just a farce. Uh, that's you know he he thinks it is good sportsmanship and it teaches good sportsmanship to these players. I, on the other hand, look at it as these games have a lot of stakes and there is a lot of emotion after the ball games. You do the handshake line, and I'm surprised that we have not had more instances like this over the years. I understand that just because one bad seed does something bad doesn't mean that you need to change the whole game. Like This whole tradition of a handshake line has been perfectly fine for a long, long time. I am of the opinion, maybe we need to get rid of this thing. I don't see any reason why these coaches need to go shake hands or whatever. And yes, we can talk about whether or not that is bad for the sport, bad for sportsmanship, whatever. I just think, looking at the amount of money that these guys make, uh, all of the different TV coverage, everything else that comes out, all of the guys like me that are actually hosting sports shows, etc., there's so much emotion pent up in these players, in these coaches. There's no reason to put them face-to-face and have them talk, right? There's no reason to do that, especially at the end of a game like that where you knew that there was like you knew there was tension. You knew that they were upset. Why put them face-to-face and have them actually... And yes, you can blow by. You know, it, it, I'm not rationalizing anything that Juwan Howard did. What I'm saying is eliminate it from the equation. Very simple. So that's my take on this. We probably need to get rid of the handshake line. Uh, There's not another sport that really does this. So why do we continue to do it in college basketball? All right, let's move on to college football again. Matt Luke was the former Ole Miss head coach and is now, well, not now, He was the offensive line coach for the Georgia Bulldogs for the last two seasons. And they won their national championship. And now Matt Luke, as of February 22nd, has decided that he is going to resign as the offensive line coach at the University of Georgia. Now, it's a little weird on the timing, right? There's just not exactly when you would hope to have a coaching change. We've talked about this with Auburn, et cetera, and I'll get to them in a minute. But this is not ideal. Rusty Manziel from Dogs 247 Sports was on top of this uh, way, way before the announcement was actually made. But basically, he is leaving for family reasons. He wants to spend more time at home. He wants to spend more time with his family, etc. And I am beginning to understand this, and I think we're going to see a lot more of this, especially for coaches that have been in this grind for a long, long time. I don't know that Georgia would have made a change. The offensive line played pretty well for the last two seasons. The guard play maybe could have been a little bit better, but this is a team that only allowed, uh, what, 16 sacks in 15 games or whatever the number is. I mean, they, they did not allow a lot of sacks. They were consistently ahead of the curve. They were able to get a ton of push from that offensive line. So Matt Luke did a pretty good job. I don't think they were going to make a change. I think at this point, Matt Luke realized 
the game of college football is completely changing. With NIL, with wide open transferring, I, it's a lot to keep up with, right? And we're just now about to head into spring ball, and he's going to be even more busy. And I think once you have been doing this for a very long time, uh, one, the option is to especially once you've made a huge sum of money, which he has when he was the head coach at Ole Miss after Hugh Freeze uh, was let go. He's, he's made plenty of money. He doesn't need to keep doing this for less than a million dollars a year or whatever. I, I think that he may really just want to go spend more time with his family. He's got kids in middle school. He wants to be able to go to the games, etc. cetera. Uh, reports are that he is going to stay in the Athens area. I I think that's great. You know, I you, we're going to see this more often. We're going to see a lot of guys that have been doing this for a long time just decide, you know what? I am tired, and I don't like... While, while a lot of them do like the kids, and they like mentoring young men into becoming men or becoming NFL prospects, etc., I think a lot of these guys really just want a break, and there is no break when it comes to college football anymore. There is no offseason. In the NFL, you got plenty of time to be able to go and take your vacations, etc. You take a vaca- uh, vacation in college football, now, say you're just gone for a week. You could have a guy decide, eh, I'm not getting enough attention, I think I'm going to enter the transfer portal. So not only do you have to go and recruit new players, but you are constantly having to recruit your own roster over and over and over again. Now Matt Luke is not the head coach, but he is an offensive line coach. And having to maintain those relationships all the time can be tiring. I don't blame him at all. I don't blame him at all for doing this. Let's uh let's move on to Auburn. The Auburn Tigers. Of course, we all talked about the Brian Harson situation, everything that was going on with Auburn and whether or not they were going to fire Harson, you know, after one season, etc. We know what is going on. We know how the sausage is made at Auburn with the boosters and everything else that's going on there. Auburn since we have last spoken together, has promoted their wide receivers coach to Eric Keesaw, uh, excuse me, to uh, offensive coordinator. Eric Keesaw was the wide receivers coach that was brought in after the Georgia State game. Now, this is interesting to me only because we now have the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator that Brian Harson had with him at Boise as the new OC and DC for Auburn heading into his second season on the Plains. That is interesting to me. He's got four guys out of ten assistant coaches that were with him at Boise. Now, that is not uncommon. When a coach leaves, he normally takes guys with him that are willing to go, etc. That makes all the sense in the world. But Eric Keesaw was not even on staff. He was an offensive analyst with Auburn. And then... Harson decided to fire his wide receivers coach, and he brought in Keesaw to be an on-field assistant, so he was the wide receivers coach, and now he is the offensive coordinator after, you know, they fired Mike Bobo, and then Austin Davis decided that he wanted to quit, and now this is the third offensive coordinator that he's had in, eh, what, 15 months? Somewhere in there, 14 months, whatever it is. It, this is uh, this is interesting. Um, they also have Brad Beadle, who is the tight ends coach. He is from Boise. And Brad LaRondo, uh, I hope I say that right, LaRondo, the associate AD and football chief of staff. Both of those guys were with him at Boise as well. Uh, I'm curious 
you know, obviously there is a Mountain West flair here. Uh, Zach Etheridge, um, uh, not Zach, excuse me, Will Friend, who came over from Tennessee as the offensive line coach, he was at Colorado State for a while as well. So you now have five guys on staff that were uh, were Mountain West guys. Then your uh, strength and conditioning coach, Jeff Pittman, used to be at Arkansas State. Uh, there's not a lot of SEC on this coaching staff. I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think Brian Harson has decided he is going to surround himself with the people that he thinks are the most loyal to him and that will not uh, take information back to parties that he does not want to have it. And this could be very interesting going forward. Uh, but Eric Keesaw and Jeff Schmetting are the new offensive coordinator and the new defensive coordinator. I do think uh, this could actually help Harson. He is working with people that he is comfortable with, guys that understand what he wants to do with a football program going forward. But none of these guys are recruiters. And we'll see if you can win in the SEC without getting the top, top, top talent. I don't know that you can, but I am more than willing to sit back and watch and see if it can be done. That would be very interesting because remember, as we've talked about, Auburn has to play Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, et cetera, every single year. That doesn't even include Arkansas, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, you know, whatever. And Auburn is up against it every single year. I'm curious what this coaching staff can get done. I'm curious about Eric Keesaw. Uh, looking at what he did prior to coming to Auburn, uh, you know, it's not, not great stuff. Uh, yes, he was at Boise in 2019 and uh, 2020. He was uh, at Fresno in 2016 as the offensive coordinator and the interim head coach when Tim DeRuder got fired. That team went 1-11. He was the Kansas Jayhawks interim OC in 2014 in the year where they went 3-9. Uh, 2013, Washington Huskies, he was the OC for Steve Sarkeesian for one year when they went 9-4 and four before Sark got the head coaching job at USC and decided not to bring Keesaw with him. Uh, that was 2012 and 2013. In 2010... He was the OC for the Colorado Buffaloes under Dan Hawkins. They went five and seven that year, um, you know. And and they were in 2009. They went three and nine. He was there for for two years as the OC. So he has been around, uh, but he has not been in the SEC. And I'm curious. I'm just curious to see how this is going to work out. So, uh, cheers to that. Uh, I, I can't wait to see exactly what Auburn ends up doing with Eric Keesaw as their new offensive coordinator. The NFL Combine decided that they were going to alter their COVID policies after we had a, uh, a not a boycott totally, but a near boycott of the Combine for multiple players, right? Uh, the headline over at ESPN, amid talk of player boycotts, NFL scouting Combine amends events, COVID-19 policies and procedures. There were a lot of agents of players that were going to sit out the combine and they were just going to do their work at their own pro days on their own campuses because they were not going to allow the players to have access to their own medical people, etc. while at the combine. I found it a little ridiculous. I understand wanting to keep the number of people at the combine limited, but when you have full open stadiums Full everything else, having these policies in place is a bit ridiculous. Um, I, I don't understand 
why they even had this uh, in the in the beginning. Uh, the memo for this that the NFL put out, or at least that the Combine put out, uh, it landed hours after the potential of player boycotts made news on Monday morning. Uh, sources told ESPN's Dan Graziano that a group of player agents was threatening to organize a boycott of certain key elements of the Combine if its concerns about a COVID-19 bubble continued to be ignored. Not all agents were in that group. Now, the NFL sent a memo last week uh, to draft prospects and their agents. It was outlining the rules of the Combine. It included a bubble that would keep prospects from interacting with their personal trainers, doctors, nutritionists, and agents while in Indianapolis. And this is now going to be fixed. They're going to be able to, to be around those guys. I'm beginning to wonder whether or not a lot of these players are going to continue going to the combine. If you can do all of this in a place where you are the most comfortable, why would you not, right? Now, yes, the combine has all of the teams present. You want to be able to get in front of as many teams as possible to make sure that you get drafted, etc. I just wonder about the top, top players. Are they still going to go to the combine going forward? We've, we've seen a lot of guys decide, eh, I'm not going to run. Eh, I'm not going to measure at the combine. Eh, I'm not even going to run uh, routes, or I'm not going to do any skills things. I'm going to go and measure and then leave. And if they want to come see me, then they can come see me at my pro day. We've already seen a ton of this. I'm just curious if the top, top guys are going to continue going. Will the combine continue to be the spectacle that it has been over the years? Because all of these people know that they're going to get drafted by somebody, and all of these different teams will fly to them. I'm curious. <laughs> I'm curious about a lot of things today. There's a lot of different news that is that is interesting. So the fact that a near boycott made the NFL Combine decide to change course on their COVID policies, that's intriguing. We'll see what ends up happening going forward, but I would imagine we're going to see more of this in the future and the Combine might not be as big of a deal as it has been for quite some time. Finally, we'll get into some NFL hiring talk. We'll start off with this one. The Los Angeles Rams are, it, it, it appears, they are set to hire Liam Cohen, who is the offensive coordinator for the Kentucky Wildcats. Now, Liam Cohen was with the Rams organization as an assistant coach under Sean McVay, for uh, three years prior to becoming the OC at Kentucky. So this does make a lot of sense. Uh, he would replace Kevin O'Connell in that role. He left to become the Minnesota Vikings head coach. Uh, Cohen, like the deal hadn't been finalized, but it certainly looks like he's going back. He's only 36 years old, but what he did at Kentucky was uh, really, really cool. Like he completely changed that offense and modernized them in a way that they have not been able to do under Mark Stoops. Now, Part of that is because uh, Eddie Grand was the uh, offensive coordinator for a long time, and they had injury issues. They didn't have good quarterbacks, etc. They were able to go into the transfer portal this past year, uh, get Will Levis, come in, establish somewhat of a downfield passing game. They brought in Wandale Robinson from Nebraska to be a huge playmaker for that offense, and Liam Cohen took advantage of all of it. Now, they took a lot of risks. They had a lot of turnovers, but... That's a team that won 10 games again for Mark Stoops. I would imagine Mark Stoops ends up going uh, that direction again, goes and finds a younger guy that is willing to open up the playbook a bit. I think this could be good for all parties, right? Cohen wants to be an NFL guy, and Kentucky figured out a bit of a recipe to 
modernize their offense going forward. They were able to learn what Cohen did, and now they continue on. Cohen, uh, again, already knows the Sean McVay system. He already knows what to run as the offensive coordinator of the Rams because he was there for so long. I think this is a great move on both sides. On both sides. Now, obviously, Kentucky would love to have kept him, but for the Rams, bring in somebody that already knows your stuff. That's easy enough to do, right? Go in and get somebody, and if Cohen ends up... (laughs) This is so ridiculous. If Cohen ends up having a good year again next year with Matt Stafford and all those wide receivers coming back, et cetera, because the Rams are going to have a pretty good roster again next year, if they are successful again next year, he may end up being a head coach in the NFL because it appears that everybody else that is within shouting distance of Sean McVay ends up getting a head coaching job, which we have seen over and over and over again, uh, including the guy that he beat in the Super Bowl this year, Zach Taylor. So... Regardless, uh, I think it's a good move for Cohen and a good move for the Rams. Finally, we will close with this. The Pittsburgh Steelers hired Brian Flores, and he is going to be a senior defensive assistant and a linebacker's coach. And this makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? I mean, it just, uh, this is the franchise that uh, has had the longest tenured African American head coach in the NFL. And they continue to be successful. They have not had a losing season under Mike Tomlin. And this is a, I'm not going to call it a market correction, but this is, I think, the Steelers taking advantage of the market here. Brian Flores was a good head coach with the Miami Dolphins. He just didn't get along with upper management. He is vastly overqualified for the position that he is in as linebackers coach and senior defensive assistant, whatever the hell that means. But uh, Mike Tomlin did come out and say, I'm excited about Brian Flores joining our coaching staff given his history of developing and teaching defensive players during his time in the NFL. Brian's resume speaks for itself, and I look forward to him adding his expertise to help our team. Uh, this, is, this is a good hire for the Steelers. I understand that Flores is suing the NFL. I don't believe that that lawsuit has a lot of merit, uh, or at least won't be proven. Uh, it, but regardless, we'll see what happens with it. It is going to shake some things up. I just don't know what yet. And I don't think he can win the case. But regardless, it has made him somewhat untouchable, right? This lawsuit, uh, there's a lot of things in it that just make it where other NFL teams don't want to risk having him on their team. And I understand that. But the Steelers looked at it as, we have a guy that was a successful head coach, had Two winning seasons with the Miami Dolphins, who are not a a good franchise over the course of the past two decades. And he got fired for not agreeing with his owner, and now he's on the open market and nobody wants him? Okay, we'll take that. I mean, they've basically got him at a discount, and I think it's I think it's genius. Flores is still young. He's only 40 years old. The Steelers taking advantage of a uh, a market inefficiency is hilarious because I kind of thought that the Patriots were going to do it. But, of course, with all the text messages that came out, Brian Flores, of course, released his private text messages with Bill Belichick. I don't know that Belichick was so quick to hire Flores back to his team. Uh, Might have felt a little bit betrayed there. But regardless, he didn't do it to Mike Tomlin. And... I'm sure that Tomlin looks at this as, okay, I can help mentor this guy. I can help develop him. And if we need a new defensive coordinator, he can get the D.C. Or he can go take another head coaching job. But we'll have him and his expertise and his development for at least one season. 
And I think that is a smart, smart move by the Steelers organization. They will continue to move on uh, doing smart things, right? This is why this franchise continues to win regardless of how poorly built the roster is. And, of course, uh, there was all of the different talk about the fact that uh, the GM said that Mason Rudolph would be the starter if the season started today. And factually, that is correct. But if that is who you are planning to be your franchise starter for you know, the duration, for the future, I don't know how successful that franchise would be. Mason Rudolph, 5-4-1. Regardless, that stays away from the Brian Flores talk, but you guys know how it is. All right. Uh, I think we've gone like 40 minutes. It's a little bit shorter show than usual. Uh, but riding solo today, it's a little different. A little different. So with that said, we are going to go ahead and get out of here. We'd certainly appreciate all of you for being here, for watching the show, for continuing to share it out, jumping into the comments, etc. If you haven't already, like the video for us and make sure to share out the podcast and the video portion of the show, whichever one that may be. Uh, you guys have been wonderful. I'm going to go ahead and sign out. So take care of yourself, take care of each other, and hopefully, hopefully, all of your tickets cash this week. Thanks for checking out Winning Cures Everything. If you want to keep up with us, hit subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Visit the website at winningcureseverything.com or you can like us on Facebook or follow us at Winning Cures, at Gary WCE, or at Chris B. Giannini on Twitter. Share out the show, leave a nice review, and make sure to comment and tweet at us. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.